Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church hyphen at hyphen home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. Today's reading is from Numbers chapter 11, verses 14 to 16 and verses 24 to 29, starting with Moses speaking to God. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favour in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me seventy of Israel's elders, who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together seventy of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him and put it on the seventy elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Hello, Christchurch London. I am so grateful that you have chosen to be part of this online service today. We are in a period of time where we are focusing on a spirit-filled life. What does it look like and how do we engage with it? And from the text today, I would like us to observe particularly two things. One is the generosity of God that we see displayed in this text. And even in the text, there is a promise of an explosion of a generosity of God that was to come but also the generosity of Moses, which is kind of a psychological miracle, really. We see his desire to see the Spirit of God being poured out over all God's people. There's such a generosity of spirit in this text. And I was reminded of my own longing for generosity a few weeks ago, where I was watching the inauguration of the American president, Joe Biden. I'm sure many of you were watching it as well. And particularly, I was struck by the poem by Amanda Gorman, this young black woman who rightfully could have been anything but generous of spirit. No matter what political view we may hold, I think we can agree that not only in the US, but in the political landscape of the Western world, These last years have been very challenging. 
And as a young person, as a black person, and as a woman, Amanda could have been incurably cynical and frustrated and resigned. Instead, we hear her speak with such passion, with such hope, with such uh, a longing for unity. Try to listen to just a few words of hers before we move on in this talk. To compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man, and so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know, to put our future first, we must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true, that even as we grieved, we grew, that even as we hurt, we hoped, that even as we tired, we tried. In a surprising way, this poem was the absolute highlight for me of, of this ceremony. And afterwards, I found out that about two million people actually chose to follow Amanda Goldman on uh, social media just within an hour after she had read these words aloud. So what is that? Why do so many people respond to this? I believe that it is about our longing for this spirit of generosity that was expressed in this poem. Like Amanda, Moses could have chosen a very different path. He could have chosen a very different desire, a very different prayer. He could have prayed for more of the spirit for himself. He could have prayed for more strength for himself. He could have been rightfully very self-focused in his prayer, but he didn't. Instead, he showed a very different kind of leadership where he wanted to share the leadership with others and where he wanted others to experience the same kind of feeling of the Holy Spirit that he had experienced himself. Why did he choose this prayer? Why this sort of generous leadership? If we look at his life, it doesn't look logical that he would end up with a prayer like this. Moses had a dramatic start in life. Born in the middle of a slow but brutal genocide where the Egyptians killed all newborn male Jewish babies. At the age of three months, to save his life, his mother put him in a basket and placed it among the reeds of the bank of the Nile. By God's grace and the intervention of his sister, he did come back to his mother who nursed him. But when he became of age, he was taken from his home, taken from his people, and he was adopted by the Egyptian princes who had found him at the Nile. So now he had become family with the very people who was abusing and killing his own people. Quite a story, quite a traumatic start in life. Those of us who are familiar with attachment theories, we would know that this is really a recipe for disaster. And it does look like a disastrous fate was catching up with Moses. As an adult, he clearly had a sense of a calling to serve his own people, but he didn't really get the nature of his calling. So at the first chance, he he risked his own life by trying to save a fellow Jew, and by doing so, he killed a, an Egyptian. 
He received no thanks in return, rather scorn and ridicule. And when the Egyptian pharaoh found out, he wanted to kill Moses. So basically, he was now rejected and abandoned by all the people he was connected to. Now, this, of course, is an extremely traumatic experience. It would be for all of us. And all of our self-defense mechanisms would go absolutely crazy. And we would be obsessed by saving ourselves, by looking after ourselves, uh, by being self-focused instead of being focused on others. And to a degree, it seems like Moses went in this direction. He fled to a foreign land where he settled and he says of himself that I have become an alien in a foreign land. Sounds like defeat, doesn't it? It sounds like end of story. It sounds quite fatal. This is how God found him after many years where God reminded him of his calling. And not only that, he filled him with his spirit and gave him the gift to prophesy and perform miracles. Now, Moses wasn't quite ready for this. He asked, who am I that I should lead Israel out of Egypt? And I don't believe he just asked God. He was definitely also asking himself that question. Interestingly, God doesn't answer the question. Instead, he says to him that when they asked who has sent you, you should tell them that I am who I am has sent me. You have to admit it's quite funny, isn't it? That the guy who doesn't know who he is is being sent to send, sent to say, I am who I am has sent me. So this is the humor of God. This is God choosing Moses again and again. So now Moses stepped into his calling, not by his own strength, but filled with the spirit. And yet he suffered rejection from his own people on numerous occasion. Even his sister and brother eventually let him down very badly. Now, all of this, this complicated story, these rejections, all of these failed dreams, all of this could have led him to trust no one. Not to trust God and not to trust other people as well. He would have a strong case, a strong argument for why he should keep things on his plate, why he should remain in control. There had been enough painful experiences, enough hurt, enough embarrassment. But he didn't. Quite the opposite. Not only does he not want to keep it to himself, Neither does he want a spiritual elite to monopolize on the anointing of the Holy Spirit. His desire is for all God's people to experience what he had experienced himself. What generosity of spirit. Now, where did that come from? Well, obviously, there's nothing that indicates in the text that it would come from his own psychological story. So how does this attitude develop in Moses? Well, most likely from his walk with God. Just a few verses before the text we heard read in the beginning, it is described how Moses went to the tent of a revelation to commune with God. And this seemed to be his daily routine. And I guess we all know this, that if we spend time with someone on a daily basis, they do influence us. And I guess particularly a time like these where we are 
spending time with very few people and with some of them a lot of the time. We do experience this as a fact. So here we have Moses, who had developed from being an over-eager leader plowing ahead in his own strength through hardships of life to becoming the reluctant leader, obeying God's calling filled with the Spirit. And now everything points to the fact that in his relationship with God, he developed into becoming a generous leader formed by his countless hours in the presence of God. So this generous spirit came from God. And in the text, we see this generosity of God demonstrated. Even the two leaders that didn't deserve to be filled with the spirit, who didn't turn up as they were told, they were also filled with the spirit and they prophesied. Now, this is typical of the generosity of God displayed throughout the Bible. He does what he promises to do, and then he adds beyond what we could dream of and think of. The principle being that whenever God restores and intervenes, he goes beyond and restores to something which was beyond what was broken. That is how he acts. That is how he responds. And this is the hope, this is the promise that is ahead of us, no matter how broken we feel today. Now, all of this, of course, culminates at the cross of Jesus Christ, where we bear witness to an extravagant demonstration of generous love. Looking at the crowd, Jesus didn't condemn them. Rather, he said, Father, forgive them. And we see it in the consequence of the cross. Restoration to a life where we are not only walking with God like Adam and Eve in the garden, but where we are becoming a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. The Bible says of Jesus that he became poor so that we could become rich. It says that he became sin so that we could become righteousness in Christ. And the Bible says that Jesus died for us so that we may live together with him. What generosity. Now, all of this is spelled out in a wonderful prophecy that we find in the book of Joel in the Old Testament. He says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locust and the young locust, the other locusts and the locust swarm my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. God spells it out in these prophetic words. The restoration is for all and the spirit is 
for all. Now, this prophecy was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost after the death and resurrection of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, we read that all of them, all of those who were gathered to pray, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, where do we find ourselves today? Where do you find yourself? Where do I find myself? What is our story? Some of us would perhaps identify with a person like Amanda Gorman, finding ourselves with the choice between disillusionment and hope. Some of us would identify with Moses, with relational breakdowns and with a start in life of very unfair odds, finding ourselves faced with the choice between trying to distance ourselves to maintain some sort of control or to generously give ourselves to others with the risk of being disappointed again. Some of us would just like Moses even cry out, who am I? That I should be a recipient of this generous gift from God, that I should become this kind of person, that I should become a generous leader among my own. And for some of us, there is this sense that the locusts have eaten what should have been food for nourishment and joy in our lives. Some of us live with the sense that the pandemic has stolen a year of our lives, at least. And we are mourning. We are mourning the loss for ourselves, but also for some of us, for our children and other family members. And this is a strong sense. These are strong emotions. And we find ourselves in need of receiving this miraculous restoration of God that we are reading about. If not all of us, I do believe that most of us find ourselves in need of receiving this promise of God today. So how do we receive this promise? In a way, Jesus put it very simply. He simply said, pray for the Holy Spirit. And I strongly believe in that, of course. And I'm praying for it myself. But there is also another kind of prayer, a prayer beyond words, which is just as powerful and probably need to go with the prayer that we are praying with our words. And that is for us to receive the Holy Spirit. And by doing so, by giving into the nature of the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting dynamic. The Bible talks about being a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, both us as a community of believers and us as individuals. And it is clear that the Holy Spirit cares about his dwelling place. He cares deeply. He doesn't form, form, sorry, he doesn't force himself on us, but he calls us. He calls us to be what we were created to be, to leave our personal chaos behind and to become ourselves by becoming generous with ourselves and faithful to a community. Now, Moses grew into the character of the Holy Spirit by walking with him. This was what came out of his everyday routine of going to the tent of Revelation. And this is what comes out of our everyday routine of seeking the presence of God in different ways, whatever way that is. 
my favorite monk, uh, Wilfred Stinnison, has put it like this. This is how he explains this principle of giving into the nature of the Holy Spirit. He says, we need to act according to what we are. And by doing so, we are increasingly becoming what we are. In his book, Paul, the Spirit and the People, Gordon Fee, who is an extremely gifted theologian, has put it like this. He says, God forms a people among whom he lives and who in their communal life manifests the life and character of God. And then he goes on describing what kind of life that is, that it's about doing good to one another, that it's about carrying each other's burdens and it's by forgiving each other. It's by showing compassion. In other words, it's about showing love in a generous way to do a bit more than expected, to reach out, to be quick to forgive, not to be self-obsessed and giving in to feelings of self-pity, but to have eyes on the need of others. Now, this is how we want to live as a community of believers across London. Not only as a way of living with one another, but as a way of living in this city. One of our key statements as a church is that we exist for those who are not yet part of us. And we want that to be reflected in the way that we live our lives in this city. And we want to be a church that blesses those who do good in the city organizations, social services, other churches, and so on. We will celebrate and rejoice in their success, and we will partner with them and support them where relevant and where possible. Now, I know that most of us live under a sense of pressure, and we face the same temptations as Moses did, the temptation to surrender to self-pity, to escape a little bit, to be self-obsessed to different kinds of unhelpful ways of finding relief for ourselves. That's perfectly normal. These are temptations that we are all living under at the moment. But when we do the opposite of that, perhaps the opposite of what we feel like doing in this very moment, when we stay generous in our attitudes and actions and invite the spirit of generosity to fill us by doing that, then we experience that these choices are typically in the very small thing. It's a phone call that may be a bit unexpected. It's a smile. It's an encouragement. It is forgiving for the 130th time on the day. It's actions done without expecting anything in returns. These are actions of grace. The biblical word for grace has three meanings. It means a gift that is not deserved, it means forgiveness, and it means generosity. And basically, these three things describe one another. These are expressions of a generous life, a graceful life. What happens when we live generously like this? Well, we stop seeking the Holy Spirit only for ourselves. And we start seeking the Spirit for others as well. And as we do that, we experience what Moses experienced and what the elders experienced and what millions of people have experienced since then, the filling of the Holy Spirit. This was the spirit in which Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to his believers. He said, 
When you receive the Holy Spirit, you shall be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and until the end of the world. In other words, you will receive it, but then you will give it away. And you will do that generously, not only in your nearby surroundings, but beyond. So we seek the Holy Spirit for ourselves and for others, for the sake of the cry of this nation, for the sake of the cry of the city, for the sake of the cry of those whom we live with. And as we seek God for them, we enter this universal room of people praying, just like the disciples gather to pray on the day of Pentecost, the place where the Holy Spirit is poured out over all. Are you worthy of it? Of course not. Neither am I. Have you deserved it? No, of course not. Neither have I. Does the promise include you and I? Yes, it does. The Bible is very clear. The promise of the Spirit is for all. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this moment. And we stop and we pause in this moment. We let our minds come to rest. And we find peace in your presence. And we pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you fill the room where we find ourselves in this very moment? Holy Spirit, would you come upon everyone who, who sits and listens with this desire to be filled with you? I pray, Holy Spirit, come in this very moment. I pray for physical manifestations of your presence. I pray for miracles happening right now. I pray for pains that leave our bodies in this very moment. I pray for headaches that suddenly disappear in this moment. I pray for pain in the back that suddenly disappears in this moment. I pray for a sense of relief for those who feel emotionally burdened in this very moment. Holy Spirit, would you come? Father, generous Father, who give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks, Father, we pray Come, Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, help us to leave this sort, lead this sort of life, to live generously and to lead generously. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. As we are praying, not only for ourselves, we are praying for this nation, we are praying for this city, and we are praying for our families. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to ChristchurchLondon.org.